Friends, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join in our call to worship. It is for community that we have come to this place, O God. We long for connection with you and with one another. It is by faith that we are willing to trust our neighbor. You never intended for us to travel through life on our own. It is out of necessity that we lean on one another. It is impossible to be Christian by ourselves. When we forget who we are, O God, send us your messengers. We are your children, your beloved creation. Our purpose is to praise you and show others your love. Knowing that we fall short of Jesus' call to follow him, that we often fail to love God with our whole being and our neighbor as ourself, let us come before God with open, honest hearts, confessing our sin together. Let us pray. Merciful God, forgive us when we misunderstand the world. We try to stand on our own two feet thinking that's what strength looks like. We struggle to find every answer, believing that's what wisdom looks like. 
we question those who think differently than we do, suggesting that's what faith looks like. We jump in first and take what we need, assuming that's what courage looks like. Teach us again, O God, what your kingdom looks like, and help us to live as though we believe it is coming. the good news. As people born of water and the Spirit, we have died to the old life, and a new life has begun. God's grace is poured out upon us day by day. Be thankful and live as one who has been raised to new life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Since we have been reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, let us be a sign of that reconciliation in this broken and hurting world. Please greet one another with the sign of Christ's peace. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and also with you.
Friends, welcome once again to worship on this Lord's Day, this World Communion Sunday, when we gather along with Christians all throughout the world sharing something in common, celebration of the Lord's Supper. We do that every week here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, but not every other church can claim that. So while it may feel somewhat normal to us, it is still a special day that we celebrate. If you have not already done so, I encourage you to find those maroon uh, pew pads uh, if you are seated near the end of the aisle and sign your name and pass them down again. As you're doing that, I will reiterate that whether you are a first-time visitor or a long-time member, we are so glad that you are here. Your presence among us makes us better. And it is our hope that any time you come through those doors that you will leave changed in some way, either comforted or challenged in your walk of faith. As you continue to sign your names, I'll lift up a few announcements for you. There are plenty printed in your order of worship. Do take a look at them throughout the week. But know that as it is the first Sunday of the month, we will have prayers for healing and wholeness during communion. So if you would like to receive a prayer on behalf of yourself or a loved one or some situation in the world, Beverly will be on this side during communion. I will be over on this side. And after you come forward to receive the elements, if you would like to step over for prayer, we encourage you to do so. And because it is the first Sunday of the month, we also collect a special offering for our food ministries The yellow envelopes that are in the pews in front of you, if you would like to make a contribution to our open table dinner ministry or um, some of those funds also can support the overnight shelter and the food that is utilized there. So please uh, do consider giving to that important mission of the church. And finally, do note the listing of the fall fellowship gatherings as we prepare ourselves for stewardship season. There is much reason to be joyful as we consider all the gifts that God has given us, and it is always a joy to come together and be together in one another's homes. You will all be invited. You will all be receiving an invitation if you have not already. If for some reason you haven't, let us know. That is an error on our part. Everyone is invited. We hope that all of you are able to attend. Let us now turn our hearts to the word of God. The Old Testament reading today is from the book of Lamentations, chapter 1 verses 1 through 6. But first, let us pray. God of all wonder and all words, speak to us now as we read from your holy book. Silence anything in us that distracts or discourages us, that we might hear your truth, and hearing it, live each day according to it. Amen. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people, How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. 
Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
seated, and I would like to invite any children or young people forward. Good morning. Come join me on the steps here. I have something to show you. I'm so glad you're here. Do you know what this is? It's a globe, right? And it shows us where all of the countries in the world are located, right? Has anyone here ever traveled to a different country? Where have you been? You've been to Asia? Let's see, where is Asia on here? Do you, where did you go in Asia? Oh, Korea and Japan. There's Japan right there, and there's Korea. What about y'all? Have you traveled anywhere? Is there anywhere you want to travel? China? Let's see, where's China? China's here. Wow, China's really big, right? Japan? There's Japan right there. You see it there? Have you ever been anywhere, Christopher? Brazil? Here's Brazil right there. It's pretty big too, just like China, right? Do you see? That's where we are and that's where that is, right? Right, it's in the southern hemisphere, and we're in the northern hemisphere, right? Well, today, the reason I'm showing you this globe is because today is World Communion Sunday. That means today, many, many churches around the world are celebrating communion like we do almost every week. So they are taking part in this bread and the cup that we do every week here. And we remember, especially on this day, that God's church isn't just here in our sanctuary. It's full of people all over the United States and all over the world. We're all doing God's work together. Each of us has something we can do to show God's love. How can you show God's love? You don't know? Any thoughts? I have a thought. Maybe if someone falls on the playground, you can help. Or you can pray for another person that you know might be sick. Or you can volunteer at the open table or at the shelter with your parents. Right? So we all have something to give. Some way that we can show our love no matter how big or small. And today, we especially remember that we all, everyone in the world, wants to show God's love to everyone else. Can you pray with me? Yeah, And I'll ask the congregation to pray with me, too, so we're not alone up here. Loving God, thank you for this big church, full of your people from all over the world. May we show your love to everyone we meet. Amen. So if you'd like to go to children's worship... You can go with Sarah and Emily. If not, you can go back to your seats. Thank you. Friends, our New Testament lesson today comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the first chapter, beginning with the first verse. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me, In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was on July 4th, 1826, that both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died. The last surviving members of the so-called Founding Fathers, the two of them together with others, shaped much of this country as we know it. Now a little history review for all of us. Adams would go on to be our second president in 1797, with Jefferson serving as second in command. It was during this time that their political views, while once quite united, parted ways rather dramatically. Jefferson even became so frustrated by his friend's leadership that he began strategizing about the next election. And so the election of 1800 was a bitter campaign with both men saying terrible and slanderous things about one another. In the end, Jefferson won, but in the end... It also seemed that the tears in their friendship were were irreparable. In 1809, however, after both men had vacated the office, each of them expressed to others their desire to reach out to their old friend. 
And so Adams eventually broke the silence, sending Jefferson a letter in January of 1812, wishing Jefferson many happy new years to come. Jefferson wrote back, and the pair went on to share correspondence for 14 years, exchanging well over 300 letters, covering all manner of topics. It was on that faithful July 4th, In 1826, exactly 50 years after the Declaration of Independence, that John Adams, at 90 years old, uttered some of the most famous last words we know. Right before he died, he said, Thomas Jefferson survives. These words have etched themselves in history for what they contain, but... They've etched themselves in history perhaps even more because they're actually wrong. Adams couldn't possibly have known it at the time, but Thomas Jefferson had died five hours earlier. Last words can be fascinating. Beethoven, his last words were, Friends applaud. The comedy is finished. Winston Churchill, the elegant wartime orator, his last words, I am now bored with it all. And Thomas Edison, who changed the way we could see in the world, his last words offered something of a promise. It's very beautiful over there, he said. This second letter to Timothy is increasingly considered to be the Apostle Paul's last words. We read from the first chapter a few moments ago. In the fourth chapter, toward the end of the letter, Paul writes, I am already being poured out as a libation. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knows he is dying. And he knows this may well be his last correspondence. He closes his letter saying, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. But he begins this letter with a bit of a history lesson that hits close to home. I am reminded of your sincere faith, he writes. A faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, lives in you. If I understand it, what Paul is saying is that for most of us, faith doesn't simply fall out of the sky and land on us. There are stories of people who have that sort of experience, including Paul himself, but they are in the minority. And a problematic byproduct of these types of stories is that they are so spectacular that those of us without them sometimes wonder if our faith is lacking. So again, if I understand it correctly, what Paul is saying is that for most of us, we learn faith from one another. You know this model is true in other parts of life. Think about starting kindergarten in a school that goes all the way through the eighth grade. You are the shortest, the youngest, and those hallways seem enormous. 
When I started school, eighth graders were all assigned a kindergarten buddy. My buddy's name was John, and I am still fairly certain I survived kindergarten only because of him. Or if you don't remember kindergarten, think about your first day at a new job. You don't even know what you don't know. That feeling is inevitable for all of us at some point. That's why so many organizations and corporations and schools use mentoring programs. You know how these work. Someone who knows the ropes walks alongside of someone with less experience, sharing insight and offering guidance. Mentoring is not a new practice, not by a long shot, but in the past two years, our understanding of mentoring has expanded. Now, Forbes, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal all report that those who have been mentors ought to consider finding one for themselves. And, they say, this is the key part, the mentor you find should be under 30 years old. Otherwise, their studies say, you run the risk of staying stagnant while your colleagues or your competitors move forward. Now there's science behind this. As we age, the neurons in our brains, they change shape and size, which ultimately means we learn at a slower rate. Our brains learn the fastest and with the greatest ease up until the age of 30. I am as delighted by this as you are. But there is a flip side, of course. As we age, we have the benefit of accumulating more wisdom and more information. The point is, we are learning that no one age or no one level of experience has the monopoly on knowledge. Everyone has something to teach someone else. We need each other to become our best, fullest selves. I have found this to be true when it comes to being the church as well. This past week, I imagine you read about it, the trial concluded for Amber Geiger, the former police officer who shot and killed her unarmed neighbor, Botham Jean, in his home. As soon as the verdict was read, Botham's 18-year-old brother, Brant, hugged his brother's killer and offered forgiveness. It was a remarkable moment. It really was. It went viral, and all sorts of Christians held that moment up as one we should all strive to emulate. And my initial response was exactly that. But then I started hearing from some of my preacher friends who are not white. They were begging their white preacher friends, which is to say they were begging me, not to talk about Brant's forgiveness without also mentioning Botham's mother, Allison, who offered a statement of her own. She said, what Brant did was cleanse his heart towards Amber. I do not want that to be misconstrued as a complete forgiveness of everybody. 
She went on to say that she admired her son, but that justice demands an examination of the systems that contributed to her older son's death, systems that the Dallas police chief herself says demand an internal investigation. Now please hear me carefully. It is maybe foolish of me to talk about this today, because I am still wrestling with it. I am still trying to figure out what this means, both for how I think and for how I live. I am still trying to figure out how forgiveness and justice live in tension with one another. So I was hesitant to bring this up today, but if we wait until we have all the answers before we talk about something, we will never actually talk about some of the things that matter most. And please hear this just as carefully. I do not mean to diminish that moment of forgiveness, not in the slightest. All I mean is to point out that I could see the forgiveness part of the story. That was easy for me to see. But I needed my preacher friends with black and brown skin to speak up and implore me to look further and to see things from their point of view. I needed them, and I still need them, to become a better and more careful and more faithful theologian and preacher. So there it is again. We need each other. No one has faith figured out all by themselves. No one has every answer. It is not possible. Last night, our confirmation class met for the first time. I am profoundly grateful for each one of them, and each one of them, each one of you, as some of you are out there, contributed something that only you could contribute. It was a very good first gathering. We had lots of questions, lots of learning, and lots of tacos. And without putting any one person on the spot, there was a lot of awkward silence in the room when I asked, why are you here? Why bother with confirmation? You may rest assured that parental pressure is still a highly motivating force in our world. And then there was this collective rush to say, no offense, we didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And I will tell you what I told them last night. That does not offend me at all. That does not hurt my feelings. And when I went through confirmation, let me assure you, I went for one reason, and it was my mother made me do it. And my mother made me do it because her mother made her do it. Now, obviously, at some point, faith became something that I cling to rather than something that was pressed upon me. But I would never have gotten to that point had someone not put me in the position to encounter it. I am reminded of your sincere faith 
a faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. So hear this. There is faith in you. Even if you are not sure of it right now, the Apostle Paul is sure, and I am sure. There is faith in you, and at some point, when you need it most, you will reach deep down, and you will discover that something is there. And I suspect you will be grateful. And sometimes we really do only have faith because someone else did first. And sometimes we only have faith because someone else gave it to us. And sometimes we only have faith because someone else showed it to us. And sometimes we only have faith because someone insisted we consider a new way of looking at the world. And that is exactly as it ought to be. Faith is a gift that comes from God, but more often than not, human hands are the ones that offer it. And this idea, it is so central to who we are as Christians that Paul begins his final letter with it. So if you need encouragement, as Paul seems to think Timothy might, Paul knows that when your faith is unsteady, It helps to remember. Four times in the first six verses of this letter, Paul says, Remember. Remember those who taught you something of faith. Remember the story they taught you. Remember the love they showed you. Remember what has always been, and you will find the strength to face what is still yet to come. It's World Communion Sunday today. You've heard us say it already. It's a day when Christians throughout the world break bread and share the cup together. It is a day when all of us remember someone else's last words, or at least the last words that were spoken to his closest friends when they gathered for a last meal. This is my body, Jesus says, given for you. Take, eat, and remember. And this is my blood, Jesus says, shed for you. Take, eat, and remember. Now here's the tricky thing about World Communion Sunday. We all celebrate communion, but we don't all do it the same way, and we don't even all do it with the same understanding. Do we use bread or do we use wafers? Is it always bread or does it change into something else? Do we use wine or should we use juice? Does it stay juice or is it changed into something else? As a whole, Christians do not all believe the same thing about this meal. But in observing it years ago, William Sloan Coffin said that on this day, at this table, Christ is found not in the nouns, but in the verbs. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Take, eat, drink, remember. Remember that when it comes to faith, you do not have to know it all. It is not possible 
to know it all. We figure it out together. We make our way together. And if that's not the last word on the subject, it certainly is the lasting word. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. of faith as printed in your bulletin. And so we say together, we believe in one true and living God. God is greater than our understanding. We do not fully comprehend who God is or how God works. The Lord's requirements are not always what we think. The Lord's care for us is not always what we want. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. We can have confidence in God's coming kingdom, even in the darkest of times. Jesus is the long-expected Savior. He was born of woman, as is every child, yet born of God's power, as was no other child. Through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, He brings about the relationship between God and humanity that God always intended. The Holy Spirit is God active in the world. 
The Spirit makes real in us what God has done for us. As long as we live, we will struggle with sin, but the Spirit's presence assures us God will complete what has been begun in us. We must not set our ultimate reliance on any other help. We must not yield unconditional obedience to any other power. We must not love one one or anything more than we love God. We praise and enjoy God. To worship God is highest joy. To serve God is perfect freedom. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Wherever the stories of God are told, wherever gifts are offered in service, wherever hope is a part of healing, wherever songs of joy are sung, in every land and every heart, in every village and every city and every place, we turn to you, O God. We turn to the tenderness of your heart. Our world is divided. We are told so many things, words that make us feel as if we may not be welcome. May we watch our words. May we be careful in how we use our language so that harm is not inflicted on the soul of the other. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And it's not just that our world is divided, O God. It's that in some places, even those places that are celebrating communion today, just like us, while those places, they are engulfed by war, violence, hunger, corruption, poverty, and destruction. We especially pray for our partners in Zimbabwe. And this morning, as we wake to another shooting in Kansas City, we breathe heavy sighs. We cry out in pain, and we seek your presence, O God. We only know a little of what families are hurting by this gun violence, but we've seen it so many times. May peace and change of systems for the basic needs of life fall on all these places, and may we always be aware of concerns for our community, both, clo- both close by and abroad. Lord, in your mercy. Bless to us, O Holy Spirit, the companions you give us mentors and mischief-makers, curmudgeons and gigglers, builders and believers, siblings, parents, aunts and uncles, neighbors and strangers, who gather in dusty villages and centers of power to feast on the goodness of your grace. May power always be in check, and may love be the force of nature. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God in community, holy and one, give us your peace. Peace to those who are homebound, hope to those who are hospitalized, and motivation to those in the nursing home, especially for Luis Rodriguez. Grace to those who are hurting and love to those who need a little extra lift to get out of bed. Carry our soul when it comes too heavy, and fill our hearts when they become too empty. We especially hold close all those who are grieving, such as the families of Robert Haynes, Rose Dotson, and Barbara Torgeson. Breathe comfort into all of them and into all of us, O oh God. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Just as God loves the world, let us return that same love to God with our gifts and offerings.
We come to this table with grateful hearts for all the blessings of this life. Christ invites us to meet him here, to be filled again with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and to be sent into the world empowered to be the body of Christ. So come to this table, you who feel richly blessed and you who hunger, you who are searching for the truth and you who cannot bear the truth. You who are carrying heavy burdens and yearning to be made whole. You who are celebrating and you who are mourning. This table is not ours, but Christ's, and it is big enough for all. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Holy God, we gather at this table with those in this room and with those all the way across the world. Together we share this feast. Neighbor to neighbor, we share it. We begin by saying thank you for welcoming us here. Thank you for making this meal possible. Thank you for your love that makes all things possible. Thank you for the faith that comes to us, faith passed down through generations faith that teaches us to forever sing to your holy name. laid on this table, we remember. We remember your gift of life to this earth, each creature, and we remember how you called life good. We see our place set at this feast, and we remember. We remember that Jesus Christ came to welcome us in love, to teach a new hospitality, and to make it known that nothing can prevent us from partaking in the new life he offers. We see that here at this table we are not alone, and we remember. We remember that God's love is not just for us, but for the world. That because we belong here at this table, we belong to everyone who belongs here. Those we have known for a long time, and those we have not met yet. We see that the bread is broken and the wine is poured out, and we remember that the love shared here was a suffering love, a love that means sacrifice and death, but yet a love that could not be held down. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. We 
We remember, O oh God, and we give thanks. We must be honest that we cannot take bread and forget those who are hungry. And so we pray for all around your world who suffer the pain of poverty and cannot put food on their own table. We cannot take wine and forget those who are thirsty. We cannot hear words of peace and forget those who are at war. We cannot celebrate the feast of your family and forget our divisions. So come and be with us in the gifts of this table, that the world you imagine for us might no longer be a dream, but a reality. We make this prayer in the name of Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray. remember the story with me again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his friends all around him, including the one who would go on to betray him. He gathered them all together, and he took bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it. And he shared it with them, saying, take and eat. This is my body, and it is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant poured out for you for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it as my remembrance. The Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat this bread and share this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. These are holy things to make us holy the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray. Gracious God, you have given us a share in the one bread and the one cup and made us one with Christ. May we who share his body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit sets on fire give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us so that we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. that gathered you into this place this day, and it is the same love of God that now sends you out into a world that needs what only you have to offer. So may joy and nothing less follow you all the days of your life. May you be blessed, and may you be a blessing, and may you rest well today, secure in the knowledge that the Lord of Light, who has brought you this far already, will lead you and countless others all the way home. Amen. Amen.